The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the available lines ahead of the college basketball tournament on the DraftKings Sportsbook app. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsibility. Responsible gaming resources. Time's up. Put your pencils down because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome to another edition of the Star Seminar. This is a team taught course, and I am proud to say that my co-teacher is the great professor, Danny Phantom, and I, of course, am Professor Emeritus Rabble Rouser. How are you today, sir? You know what? I'm a little chilly. Um, I... Woke up this morning and you know it was it was pretty cold and it was dark also and I you know just reminded me that you know we're going to be changing our clocks here. You change your clocks, yeah, you do it. I think everyone does except Arizona. Um, but you know it, you know just getting used to where you know when it gets dark earlier and everything. Uh, just but at the same time, I I I really like the season. I don't know Oregon where I live. I, I just love the seasons. I love all the seasons. Um, I don't like driving in the snow and the and the and the ice. I mean, I, don't, I can't imagine people, anyone would really. But outside of that, I, I just like, I love all the seasons. So mm-hmm. you know, and fall is no different. And um, so, but I was going to ask you, like, what is? Do you have a like favorite season of the year? Absolutely, we're smack dab in the middle of it, man. Um, so I I love the fall. Uh, I love the I love the colors. I love the the temperature where it's just, it's kind of cool and crisp. Um, you know, I live I live in the Northeast, so the summers are brutal. But and and the heat's fun, one thing, but it's the humidity that absolutely saps your soul and sucks it out of you out of you, and then stomps on it with an iron boot. And so it's a it's a little bit of a relief, but also like the smell, the sort of spicy smell of leaves in the air. I love. Um, you know, I love the fall holidays. I love Halloween and Thanksgiving. And, um, of course, October for me is the very best sports month there is. There's baseball playoffs, the, like the NBA and the NHL are starting, and you're really starting to get into the actual football season after the kind of like, you know how that's like the first round of a fight where your guys are just kind of like exploring each other with jabs, and now, and now, we're, now the teams are starting to throw haymakers. And so, um, 
you know, I, everything about October is awesome as far as I'm concerned. So I, I'm loving it. Like the, here I am in the, in the Northeast, all the, tr all the trees are starting to turn. This next weekend is probably going to be peak fall for us. And so, uh, you know, my wife and I go for walks all the time out, out, out in the foliage and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just fantastic. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point. I know that like I used to dread fall when I'm, when I was in school, because, well, I mean, school starts up and uh, it was always that I was bittersweet because you had football season starting, but school starting. So I could truly never enjoy uh, one or the other. It's just so, but I will say this, you're right. There, there's a lot going on with the different, with the sports. And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's that one time of year, like where you get the, the, you know, all three, the tri, you know, trivecta, you know, you know basketball, basketball and, and uh, football. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot going on, but Hey, there's a lot going on today on our show. Too. So uh, why don't you let people know what we have going on today? That, my friend, was a well-crafted segue. So today we are uh, very happy to have as our guest lecturer Ryan Matthews, who's been a senior editor for Pride of Detroit for the last seven years. Um, really great guy, really articulate guy. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to having a, a chance to chop it up with him and talk about his favorite team, the Detroit Lions, the Cowboys' upcoming opponent. Uh, before we bring him in, though, um, I'd love to hear from you. Who are some of your favorite Detroit Lions not named Barry Sanders? You know, it's interesting, Rouds, because I look at Detroit and, you know, they're not a team really to where that I like really like or really don't like. I mean, I, mm. I and I can't I can't think of I don't like there's not a bunch of of players on there that are like, oh, I really like this guy or I mean, I, I liked Megatron because but that's probably more fantasy to do with anything else but i will say this when i was like brainstorming through the players i actually there's a lot of players that i don't like that, that that kind of annoy me you know i i i'm not a fan of alex karras um you know of course you know i don't know i've had anything to do with webster or uh or or, or the porkies he was he's kind of a jerk in porkies um so you know i'm not a fan of golden tate or you know i mean you remember that blind, with, with good reason good reason yeah um of course the rory williams trade was just dreadful and so not a fan of him. I don't like Joey Harrington because Harrington because he played for U of O. So there's that, you know. And mm. the, of course, Dan Orlovsky. You know, we a lot of us we have our you know what we think about him. So I mean, and honestly, too, I'm, and this this might be you know, I might be in my I'm sure I'm in the minority here, but I'm just not a, I'm not a huge Barry Sanders fan. I I I, I totally respect him. I, you know, he's a fantastic player, but. I don't like the when he gets roped into the conversation. People are so quick to call him the best ever, and you know, I mean, and I don't, I don't even think it's just exclusive to Barry and Emmett. But I think I do. I will, I will um, die on that hill that Emmett Smith is a more complete running back than Barry Sanders. So that's so. I mean, to me, I can't even I can't even appreciate Barry Sanders all the way for that reason. So. Honestly, Raps, I guess I just don't have any favorites. I just have a lot of guys that kind of annoy me. So I, I'm just going to leave it to you. I mean, who do you like on the Lions? So I got a couple honorable mentions, and I'm going to go old school because I, you know, I started watching NFL football in the in the mid '70s, and and the Lions have had had some really interesting guys back then that I really liked. They they had this great uh, pass rush in like the late '70s, early '80s, and it was led by defensive tackle Doug English and a. Uh, a defensive end named Al Bubba Baker. Bubba Baker only played for like five seasons for the Lions, but he was amazing while he was playing. 
Um, they had a corner who's a terrific, terrific player named Lem Barney, or the original number 20 before Barry Sanders. And then actually another guy who also wore number 20 before Barry Sanders, and I will go to my grave saying he wore it better, um, is my favorite line of all time, and that's the great Billy Sims. I, Billy Sims is right there in the pantheon of my, of my favorite great running backs. There's a reason that every time I play the lottery, which is not often at all, um, 20 is one of the numbers I always play, and that's because uh, of of Billy Sims and um, mostly his work at Oklahoma, but he was electric and before he got injured um, for Detroit as well. I mean, if you guys have a chance, go watch tape of his rookie and, and his first couple of years uh, before he got, before he banged up his knee, he was an incredible, incredible player. Yeah. Those are great. I mean, I don't, I don't recognize a lot of the players you said, but I definitely remember Billy Sims. You know, I, we, we started watching football close to the same time, you know, me a little later than you, but um you know, the Lions were always on Thanksgiving. So, I mean, mm-hmm. we always got exposed to, you know, to the Lions. And, I mean, you could – Billy Sims was fun to watch. He was really fun to watch. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think you, I, those are great choices. I think you have a – I think you picked the best one. And, and I would even say even, you know, with with the other number 20 included, um, I would I, – uh, yeah, Billy Sims is a good good choice, Rabs. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's uh, speaking of good choices, uh, let's bring our friend uh, Ryan in, and he can uh, illuminate and inform everyone about this week's uh, opponent, the Detroit Lions. All right. Let's do it. All right, children, put your cell phones down and listen in. I am thrilled to introduce you to our visiting professor today is Ryan Matthews. Ryan has been with Pride of Detroit since the 2015 season which incidentally is a season after the Lions lost to the Cowboys in the 2014 playoffs. And he's been watching the Lions play football since way before then, since way back since they uh, called the Pontiac Silverdome their home. Pontiac Silverdome was uh, destroyed in 2013. So that gives you a sense of of how long he's been a a fan. And so I think he's very well poised to talk to us about his favorite team as the Cowboys get ready to square off against the Detroit Lions. Ryan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. You know what? I I, I was totally um, caught off guard with the uh, with the school aspect of it, but I'm a teacher myself, which is kind of that's interesting. I teach high school um, when I'm not covering the Detroit Lions and being a total masochist. Excellent. So, Professor Matthews, uh, I'd like to start by talking about. Um... Uh, the head coach Dan Campbell. So, uh, as you as you probably know, because I'm sure you guys had to do a bunch of research on on uh, Dan when he first uh, took the position. He's a former Cowboy. He was brought into Dallas as a free agent, uh, who, who frankly we hadn't heard of much, uh, if at all, before he was brought in. He was brought in during the P- Bill Parcells era. He was totally embraced immediately as a Bill Parcells kind of guy. Um, one of the stories that you know sort of um, helped cement that legend in 2005. He had an appendectomy in late July. He only missed 10 days of practice and then returned and started all four preseason games and continued to like, you know, be Jason Witten's, you know, sort of number two and, and allowed them to run a lot of 12 personnel and, and you know, really strong, um, really strong blocker in the running game. Tough guy, good, good glue guy, all those things. Right. So um, so Campbell in Detroit replaced a Belichick guy, Matt Patricia. In what ways would you say the Campbell administration has been different um, in the two years or so that he's been there than the Patricia administration was. And tell us a little bit more about this guy. Yeah, I, I think all of us are kind of well-versed in the quote-unquote Patriot way 
um, how that's been exported, how that's been, you know, packaged up and, and delivered to quite a few fan bases around the NFL. And um, quick show of hands, how many of them have really taken root and worked? Uh, you're not going to see a lot of hands go up in the air, um, you know, and the Matt Patricia era is is really known as the era of the Lions exodus. Um, they, you know, him and so many talented players clashed heads. Um, it's why Darius Slay was sent out of town. It's why Quandre Diggs was sent out of town. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of interested to know, like, how much of the Matt Patricia era was the straw that broke the camel's back for, for Matthew Stafford. Um, you know, the, the Patricia era was an era of no nonsense. Um, you're doing things my way or the highway. Matt Patricia, most famously, you know, the, the Lions end up you know, losing a game uh, a couple seasons ago. And, you know, somebody asks him a question about his defense and his defensive philosophy. And he responds with, you know, I, I think I do a pretty good job calling the defense. I, I called one of the most important plays in defensive football history in the Super Bowl. So uh, arrogance, um, you know, just really all of that tied up and, and, and delivered to Detroit. And Dan Campbell was the opposite of that. He was packaged up and he was sold as being the antithesis of what everything Matt Patricia stood for. He was a player's coach. He was a guy who was going to come in here and he was going to motivate players to want to, you know, play through, play through injury and, and play for him and play to the whistle. And I wish that there was more of that that led to success so far. Um, I think a lot of goodwill was built up in the offseason after the way that the Lions finished the season last year. Uh, they get the hard knocks rub. Um, you as Cowboy fans are well familiar with, with what that's like. Um, for the Lions, though, that the transition into the season recently, Lions owner uh, Sheila Ford Hamp, she, you know, it admitted uh, through Dan Campbell that, you know, she was frustrated with the way that the team was playing, but she was still all in when it came to the vision um, of what this rebuild that him and Brad Holmes, uh, formerly of the Los Angeles Rams, have, have, have built together. Um, and they're just really, Lions fans are waiting to see the fruits of their labor. They're, they're starting to get a little restless. Um, but I, I think the real difference between the Patricia era and the Campbell era is marked with, you know, just different philosophies when it comes to, how to be a human being. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, Brian, so the Lions are coming off a bye week. You know, this is an important time to kind of regroup and um, recharge themselves. And I know the Lions have some key players that have been missing in recent games. So first thing I wanted to do is, can you give give us an update, particularly on players, um, you know, running back DeAndre Swift, uh, wide receiver Amon um, St. Brown, and then the cornerback uh, Jerry Jacobs. I was, I was hoping that you may be able to tell us a little bit about the, their availability this week and uh, which one of these players, you know, return would make the biggest impact. And then finally, also, too, is, is what type of adjustments are we likely to see coming out of the bye? Yeah, I, you know, that, that's been the talk of Sports Talk Radio for the entire week. You know, I, you can turn it on in the morning drive, the afternoon drive, the, the, the evening shift. It doesn't matter. It's about what changes are being made specifically defensively because the Lions offense has been, for the most part, you know, uh, if you want to wad up the paper and, and throw out the Patriots game film, they were one of the highest scoring offenses, the highest scoring offense in the NFL um, through those weeks. So, you know, defensively, the, the changes are mostly personnel. 
um, trying to move personnel around to put them in more advantageous situations to be successful. Um, you know, the Lions have, they have some players. They they have Jeff Okuda, who's um, bounced back from an Achilles injury last season that he suffered, and he's played pretty well. Um, they've gotten, you know, Hard Knocks favorite star Detroit Cowboy Malcolm Rodriguez. He's been <laughs> one of the most entertaining players for the Lions um, so far this season. Uh, but on the defense specifically, it's few and far in between um, in terms of guys that you can point to that have played successfully so far through through these weeks so really the the changes that they hope to make are personnel based um you know moving guys around to see if they like i said can put them in more advantageous situations and really one of those players that they would be dying to get back would be jerry jacobs um i'm not so sure that jerry jacobs is going to play in this game he he is coming off an acl injury uh he was on the pup list um, he is on day 16 of the 21-day evaluation window um, for the reserve list for him to come back. Um, but, it, I, you know, based on some comments that Aaron Glenn made on Thursday, like Pascal, Josh Pascal, who's Lions' second-round pick, he's probably a little bit closer to return than, than Jerry Jacobs. But um, DeAndre Swift is a guy who was limited again. Um, this is nothing new to, to Lions fans. He, he's a guy who is routinely on the injury report. He's got an ankle and a shoulder that's dinged up, um, an ankle injury that's actually lingered since week one um, when he rolled it versus the Philadelphia Eagles. So he's limited, but I'm going to think that he tries to gut it out. And I, I think he ultimately probably does play in this game um, just because he had the benefit of the bye week. And Amon Ross St. Brown is a guy, again, ankle injuries and, and how they linger, but um, he's he's like a must-have player for this Lions offense. He he was a full practice on Thursday. Um, who knows how close he is to full health, but um, the Lions are going to need him for sure. So one of the things you just uh, you just sort of alluded to, which of course uh, provides me a lovely segue, is is how well the Detroit offense has been playing. And in fact, one of the early surprises of the season, at least for people who haven't followed the Lions closely, has been the potency of the Lions offense. They've been they've been incredible as you say, other than the New England game. So New England, was, excuse me, Detroit was, was leading the league in scoring after the first month and, you know, uh, putting up, you know, just, it was like a, it was like a pachinko machine. So what's, <laughs> yeah. what's this been the secret of this juggernaut uh, in Detroit? Again, except for the New England game. And we'll talk about that in a sec. Yeah, it's cool. We can, we can just like men in black ourselves and totally just wipe <laughs> our, wipe our memories of that game. I'm sure that the rest of the uh, Lions coaching staff and players wanted to do that as well. But yeah, before the Patriots game, you know, I, I think one name that you guys are going to hear as soon as the coaching carousel kind of starts to turn around um, is going to be Ben Johnson, the, mm. the Lions offensive coordinator. He is a guy who, has come in um, in his really in his first full season uh, being offensive coordinator. Um, he has just made a ton of difference in the effectiveness of Jared Goff. And you, we're all familiar with who Jared Goff is at this point. Doesn't seem like a guy who's going to quote unquote um, win you a ton of games. You hope he's the kind of guy who doesn't lose you games. And through the first few weeks in the season, um, you know, through five games for the Lions, the success has really been in play action. Um, when the Lions can get Jared Goff into play action, he's actually one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. Um, you know, there, there are a ton of stats to back that up in terms of, you know, his five to one touchdown to interception ratio. Um, he has one of the highest completion percentages. 
um, in the league uh, for for players in play action. Um, so that has been where he's found success. Where he where he struggled though, and where you saw things kind of regress back to the mean in the Patriots game was when Jared Goff is asked to ad lib or when Jared Goff has to work out of structure, he usually exacerbates all of those problems. So like, you know, the, uh, the, in the Patriots game, lines are going for it on fourth down. They're near kind of midfield. They don't have a kicker that they trust. They, they go with Jared Goff and he tries to escape the pocket and he fumbles the ball and it's in fumble return touchdown. And, and the Patriots are all of a sudden, well out of reach for the Lions so like the thing that every Lions fan hopes doesn't happen um with Jared Goff is he doesn't make that one back-breaking play um mm-hmm. whether it's a pick six or you know interception in a crucial moment or or that fumble right before the half um as the Lions are on the you know opponent side of the field so um the real success though has been Ben Johnson and what he's been able to scheme up even with you know missing Amon Ross St. Brown for a couple of weeks um, you know, even without DeAndre Swift, you, you talked about, uh, Sean, you talked about the explosive plays, the lines, like if you're talking about 30, 40, 50 yard runs, they're still amongst the top in the NFL, um, without even having one of those in week five. So, um, you know, I, I think a lot of credit needs to go to Ben Johnson. And like I said, you'll hear his name be, be talked about as a head coaching candidate. So a follow-up to that is, you know, you, you talked about um, obviously the back-breaking fumble that was returned for a touchdown against New England, but what, I mean, they got shut out. So like what else schematically happened? And, you know, is this a situation where it's just like an aberration or is this, did, did um, you know, did the Patriots quote unquote provide a blueprint? And so I guess the question is like, I mean, I, this is probably the question, right? Uh, where, what is the real Detroit offense going forward? Yeah, they, they hope it's a healthier team. Um, they hope it's a team that can run the ball uh, on first and second downs. They like to do that a lot. Um, it, it's it's gotten them into trouble. Uh, when this offense isn't ripping off 50-yard runs, the problem is the three and outs. Um, the proclivity at which they, you know, they go three and out is, it, it's troubling. And it, it creeped up in the Eagles game, which was a close game. Um, it definitely reared its head, uh, the following week when they got their one and only win against Washington. Um, it's, it's kind of tapered out, but the the problem is Sean is that when the lions are on the field and they have the ball, they, they can get in their way sometimes. And, um, I, I think that with that being said, like Jared Goff, he's always going to be the most hot button thing, um, in, in Detroit, the quarterback always is right. But the offensive line is really their bread and butter. That's what this team is built on. That's what Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn were building before um, Brad Holmes and and Dan Campbell kind of punctuated that by drafting Panay Sewell. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, at that point, they had Jonah Jackson, their starting left guard, one of the more underrated players in the NFL. Uh, Frank Ragnow, a household name at center. Um, Halapuli Palivaitai is a guy that I'm sure you're familiar with as a former Eagle um, he's injured, um, actually hasn't played at all this season, um, back injury, really concerning, but then they have Taylor Decker on, on the other side. So like they, they have a very formidable offensive line and that's how they want to beat you. That's how they want to win. And they want to do that on the ground. It's just when they can't give Jared Goff enough time, which has happened more times than I think a lot of people were hoping would happen. Um, that's when things go sideways. And I, I think last week was no better example. 
uh, of what you're asking me right here. Like, if the pass rush is is hot, Jared Goff tends to fold, and that's what gives me a lot of pause and a lot of concern when you're going up against two absolute monsters. I mean, Micah Parsons is well documented. I don't know why people have forgotten about Demarcus Lawrence. Like that guy is a game wrecker in in his own sense too. So that's a huge challenge for the Lions tackles this this week. You know, Taylor Decker, Panay Sewell versus those two guys. That's going to be my must must see TV. Mm. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm, you know, I'd be lying if I'd be lying. I didn't mean that. <laughs> if I didn't say that. Uh, I wasn't a little concerned because you know you kind of mentioned. I mean, there's a little bit of wild cardness with with. Jared Goff, and uh, you know he could certainly uh, he could he could hurt you, and he can hurt hurt themselves. And I don't know exactly what to expect. To be quite honest, I'm I'm a little worried that if the the Lions have their act together and their offense is actually playing well, they could we could see a game script that might not be favorable to a, a team that's welcoming a, a possibly a rusty quarterback back into the mix. And you know the Cowboys' offense has been nothing to write home about. You know, with with Russia or all season, um, so I mean, I can see a range of outcomes there to where if the Lions are, are actually scoring points, there could be a problem for for the Cowboys. And uh, so, focusing in on the Lions not scoring points, I want to talk about a little bit. Uh, you know, we talked about this a little bit already, but so I mean, you guys are the Lions, and you know, you write for the pride of Detroit, and you know, and but we have Lions too. You know, I'm, you know, Micah Parsons, and in fact, we have a pride. Um, full line in, in form of the Cowboys pass rush. So I want to know, I want you to tell me, so what do you think, and you talked about this already a little bit, establishing the run, but like what do you think the Lions offensive staff needs to do to keep Jared Goff upright and to keep, you know, to keep the Lions offense, you know, moving the ball? Yeah, I, you know, I, that's a really good question, Dan. I, I, I think where the lions can be successful is they do have a capable um, stable of running backs who are pretty good in pass protection. Um, And Dan Campbell is not afraid to start playing some football where he is going to throw a six offensive lineman on the field. Like I I, lions fans haven't seen a whole lot of it this year um, up to this point, but um, the lions six offensive lineman is tackle Matt Nelson. Um, you're probably going to see a lot of jumbo packages. You're going to see a lot of 12 personnel. Um, you know, the, the lions really want to do that. They, they need a quote unquote front door to their offense. Um, and, and that would be a true blocking tight end, which they've kind of lacked all season long. Like that is the key um, to what Dan Campbell wants to do. I mean, it, it's what, it's what Sean Payton did. It's what Bill Parcells did. Like, um, these guys are very, very important to the things that they want to accomplish on offense. Um, the Lions have been without that guy. His, his name is Jason Cabinda. Um, he's a he's an H back, does everything: tight end, fullback, running back. You know, put out a food spread for the entire team after the game. Like Jason <laughs> Cabinda is their guy who can serve all roles, but they've just been without him. And um, they actually call him the super back around here because that that that's what they hope that they could have in him. But I, I think in order to keep Jared Goff upright, you're going to see the Lions bring in Matt Nelson. You're going to see them want to run probably away um, from Micah Parsons. But if you're running away from Micah Parsons, you're running into Demarcus Lawrence. So I, I, I'm I'm trying to find where that soft spot is in the Cowboys defense just because 
their rushing statistics in terms of stopping the run, not so great. Like maybe they're one Achilles heel on defense. Like if the Lions can be big in the middle, um, which is why you'll, I, I really think with uh, with Vitae going down, he was their road grader. He was the guy who was, you know, making pass for for running backs left and right throughout the preseason. Even last year, he had a really good he had a really good season, um, settling in at, at guard. Um, but they they're probably going to go with I think Dan Skipper, um, who was a he was kind of like a a big name just because he had bounced around all these practice squads, never played an NFL game, and then um, when he got a chance against Washington, he he, he got the game ball and. You know, it was it was all good stuff and celebrations, but Dan Skipper and Pass Pro is is kind of a a, a frightening thing to see. So I, I wouldn't be surprised though if the Lions want. I, I think they want to run the ball like thirty times in this game, and mm. it, if 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 they find themselves down, um, if they find the Cowboys' offense, you know, out in front of them, and they're going to want to throw the ball a little bit more than they want to, well, that's what happened against New England. So it could be could be an awful repeat in, in Dallas. It's, it's so ironic that of course, uh, Dan Campbell, who was effectively uh, the sixth offensive lineman for his whole career has been struggling to find a Dan Campbell for his own team, or at least keep to keep one healthy. Yeah. Um, I will also say that, you know, in recent years, the Cowboys interior has been a little bit more vulnerable, but they actually have certain sort of really in the last couple of years, it's kind of amazingly developed a pretty good stable of defensive tackles and the place where they've been most vulnerable is actually on the edge. They wear, they, they, they run a lot of two linebacker sets, which means that a lot of times there's a defensive back, either a safety or a corner who's responsible for setting the edge and um, hasn't always done a great job. So I think that if you're going to, if you're going to, where they've been vulnerable is, is big runs outside when they, when they, when they seal the edge. So um, if, you know, as a team that's been breaking out big runs, there's a, there's certainly a precedent there for that to, for that to happen. For sure. I mean, real quick, Jamal Williams is, he's the epitome of four yards in a cloud of dust. Um, Mm -hmm. That guy has very little in terms of escapability and in terms of his elusiveness, but if DeAndre Swift does play, that's where you might get some more of your outside running and hopefully you can hit a home run. He, He runs hard, man. He runs hard. Um, so let's let's if we can shift our focus to the other side of the ball. Um, you know, we've been talking about how amazing the the uh, Lions' offense has been all year. Not quite the same story on defense. Um, Lions have been. It seems like they've been on the struggle bus for for a while now in terms of points allowed. Certainly, they've been dead. They're dead last so far this year. They were thirty first the year before and thirty second year before that. So. I mean, I get the sense that what Dan Campbell wants is to, is to be a tough team with a you know a tough defense. So what's been going on in the, the, the for the Campbell era Lions? Why they've been so vulnerable on defense? And and as as a kind of you know um, second part of that, mm-hmm. is there anybody on the on the Lions defense who will keep Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore up at night that we should be worried about? Um, you know, I, I don't know how PG your podcast is, but like might keep him up for another reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you might be pretty excited looking at the the defense that's ranked 32nd right now because really to answer your question Sean like Dan Campbell wanted he came in here he wanted to do two things he wanted to establish the run he wanted the Lions offensive identity to be somebody who's going to push you up front and they're going to wear you down and they're going to play all four quarters and that's where the kneecap soundbite came from on the other side of the ball he wants to stop the run he wants to completely neutralize your ability to to gain any yards on the ground so that you're forced into tough you know third and long situations the lions don't have the players they don't have the personnel the the problem from 
I mean, it, it's it might sound strange to say that like you know a year and a half or close to a year and a half hasn't been enough time for Brad Holmes and Matt Patricia to kind of uproot the rot from the Patricia era, but truth be told, the Lions have had some bad luck like already start to to start the Brad Holmes era and. They drafted Levi Onzerike out of Washington in the second round. Um, he has hardly played at all, and he's been shut down for this season because of a back injury. Mm-hmm. Finally had back surgery, and I, I don't think anybody likes the idea of back surgery. Like, once you go under the knife, like, it's really hard to be the same as, as you were. So he was a second-round pick. The third-round uh, pick that year was a Fatu Malafanu, a guy who mm-hmm. has struggled Loves to be him. healthy himself. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Um He's he made the transition in training camp from cornerback to safety just because I think they liked his length there and how they could maybe move him around and work him situationally and in matchups with tight ends and and things like that. Hasn't played, um, you know, struggled with some injuries to to start the season. Was healthy, didn't really play against the Patriots. Um, after benching their number one cornerback, Amani Oruarie, um, he was a guy who is one of the few. Uh, surviving members of the Patricia era that people had confidence in and, and, and thought he was a solid player. Um, yeah, bench last season or bench last uh, week against against New England, um, which was really shocking. The Lions went with a guy who they signed off their practice squad to to play over him. Um, but that was part of you know you know Dan's earlier question or uh, what you know the defense might do differently um, in terms of from one week to the next week with the bye week like it's the changing of personnel. Like they, they decided to go away from Deshaun Elliott, somebody who they signed and who's actually played pretty decently. They just all of a sudden, you know, throw in, um, you know, another safety Kirby Joseph, a a third round rookie this year to, Hey, sink or swim kid. Like we're going to try something different. And if this doesn't work, then we're going to go back to the drawing board. So, um, you know, Fatu Melifanu, Levi Anzarike, that's two guys. Josh Pascal, their second round pick this year, has not played at all. Sports mm-hmm. hernia injury that he also suffered in college. Um, and and truth be told, Aiden Hutchinson, had, I, I, he's been a lot of Billy Jean and he's not my son and, and this, that, and the other thing, but he hasn't really shown up a lot through five weeks. And, you know, he had he has three sacks. He got them all in the first half against the Washington Commanders. Mm. I don't know if that's anything that you can necessarily hang your hat on um, <laughs> at the quarter pole of the season. So that it, it's injuries, it's injuries, Sean, and 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 that has really hurt the Lions' ability to to take any steps forward on defense. I know I am interested to watch uh, Hutchinson go after a uh, Cowboys rookie, uh, Tyler Smith, and just see see those two. Uh, See how, yeah, that'll how be they a good fare. matchup. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's interesting because you know I, I'm a big Jamal Williams fan too, and I I don't I don't know. Um, I mean, Swift is he's super explosive, and if he's healthy, you know this I, this running attack with that the Lions have, you know, and you said it, they're gonna they're gonna run the ball, and honestly, I think the Cowboys are as well, and and I think in a lot of ways, you know, this um, it could kind of resemble. The, the Dallas Philly game in the sense of just it's going to go fast so you know because mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of running and um but you know and I don't know if that's that's I think I think that situation may you know more lean towards an advantage towards Detroit even though they are just you know a more of a the higher scoring team but right now I want you to I just want you to let us know who are you taking in this game and give us a final score prediction 
Yeah, so I'll have my final score prediction go up on, on Pride of Detroit, um, but I'll give you a little sneak preview right now. I, I have the Cowboys 31, the Lions 21 in this game. Um, I just think that Dak coming back, I, I know, I, I just have this sense like that they're going to ease him into things, right? Yeah. And, and they And they can afford to ease him into things because they have Tony Pollard, because they have Ezekiel Elliott, because they pride themselves on being able to run the football themselves to set up what they want to do um, through through the rest of their game with, with Kellen Moore, someone who, again, Lions fans are very familiar with. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see, I, I totally agree. Um, Dan, I, I think that it, it, it'll, it'll be a very short game because there's going to be a lot of running. But by that same token, I think the Cowboys are definitely going to be able to move the ball against the Lions defensive front. And um, I think that's going to make Dak feel comfortable. Yeah, I would just be ecstatic if the Cowboys scored 31 points. I, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with everything you said, and you know, I do think they're going to ease them back. And but I do think that's going to come at a. I, I just don't see the Cowboys scoring that that many points. I think that everyone might be expect it to be high scoring because Dak's back and Detroit's defense is is allowed a lot of points. But I, I just kind of have a feeling it's not going to go down this way. I'm, I I also have the Cowboys winning, but my final score is is actually going to be a, a pretty close game. I got it. Uh, I have the score 23-17. So, and it, this could come down to a final possession where the Cowboys need the defense to once again, you know, finish things off for them. And it's, I think it'll be a little bit more nerve-wracking. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smart Water Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics. But now, with AI, people can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process. Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. What about you, Rabs, who has never picked the Cowboys to win a game this year? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, to be fair, it's uh, they played against the the, the Buccaneers, uh, and then um, and then Cooper Rush started four games, so that's really why I have haven't been uh, picking the Cowboys. Uh, I I think I think the Cowboys are actually a really good team and a really young a young team that's going to get better over the course of the year. Um, but I didn't believe in in Cooper Rush, and I didn't believe in him 
precisely because of his inability to generate explosives in the passing game. And I really think that that's the thing that's the sort of consistent, uh, the consistent mark of, of both a good offense, but also just a successful team. I mean, defense comes and goes, running game comes and goes. You can scheme those things away. The one thing that's really hard to scheme away is, is an explosive passing attack. And so um, I think that they are going to have an explosive passing attack in week 12. I don't know that they're going to have one this week. I think, uh, you know, I, I think you both hit it on the head that they're going to bring Dak back. They've been talking a lot about how Dak sees how simple the offense can be. Now that he's been watching, like the, you know, the play calls have been sort of funneled through him and he's been watching. And I think it's sort of uh, uncomplicated the process for him. But I, I think that they're also probably going to um, bring him back with a little bit more of the kind of Cooper Rush offense, which is just, you know, it's, it's, it's for sort of a simple pared down thing where the whole playbook isn't open. I think he's going to be a little bit slow processing because it's his first game back. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't played against, you know, NFL game speed in, in a long time. So I think, I think, you know, he'll, he'll probably make a mistake or two and they'll they'll probably not um, take a lot of downfield chances um, as a result. So I I expect it to be something like what, what Dan was talking about. Uh, which of course means it's going to be forty-one thirty-eight, but I think it's going to be. More, I, I'm going to predict it's going to be something like sixteen thirteen. But the, wow, um, I think I think I think that um, the Cowboys' run defense is pretty good. I think they're going to make if they make a priority of it. I think they'll be fine, and I think it's going to be really hard for Jared Goff and the Lions if they ever get in any kind of thing, anything resembling a third and long. It's going to be because the Cowboys' pass rush is brutal. It's really brutal. It's very very good. And yeah. so, um, you know, I, I think both teams, I think both teams are going to be playing the protect my quarterback. So he's still around a week 17 game. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, something that Ryan said earlier too, which got me a little bit nervous is, you know, with the play action is one thing that, that the Cowboys defense is vulnerable about is they love, mm-hmm. they're just super aggressive. You know, they, they, they're going to come at you. So if you can take advantage of that aggressiveness and teams have, you know, you know, they, they will, they will find ways to, you know, let the Cowboys attack and then find, you know, get stuff out behind them. And, uh, you know, whether that's, you know, with the draw draw plays up the middle in the running game or just play actions. And, and I, I think there's opportunities to capitalize on the Cowboys' over-aggressiveness a little bit and kind of use that against them. Because they are going to tee off. The Cowboys are just going to mm-hmm. be coming after them. And just, they're just, I think they're going to take a lot of chances in trying to come up with the big defensive play. And it could end up allowing that, you know, big offensive play so that that worries me a little bit yeah, yeah i mean I, you, do, do you try a double move do you do you risk your quarterback's uh health to try the double move i think that a lot of teams have decided not to even try it um but they're sort of the kind of defense that could be susceptible to it if you think that you can get it if you can get that route run before the pass rush gets to you yeah i mean the over under for this game is 49 um which mm-hmm. i mean might might i mean I don't know. I, I think that might be a little bit inflated by Dak um, coming back. Um, that feels high. It, that feels it, it, really high. It, it does, but, I mean, you're playing the Lions, and, like, I, I guess they just have a reputation yeah. now for being a team that can that can throw points up at the board. Ironically enough, they scored zero the last time they played. But the, I, I wanted to ask you guys, like, how excited are you to finally see this Cowboys offense, like, at full health? Because, I mean – they're finally going to have Gallup. They they have CD. They you know Dak's finally back. Like, I mean, they're they're finally at full strength. Like, this should be this, this should be an offense that's humming, right? right? Yeah, I, for me, I know I'm nervous. I think to uh, to me, it's it's a really 
all depends on Dak. I mean, I'm a big, obviously, I, I believe in Dak. I'm not one of those skeptics of him. But I do, I am privy to how he's played at times where maybe he just hasn't trusted his body or hasn't been fully healthy. So my biggest concern is Prescott and, you know, is he is he mentally going to be there? Is he physically going to be there? And once he is, I'm super excited because they've never had a defense like this. And, you know, and when the offense actually, the offense will come back and they'll, they won't be like they were before, but they're going to be pretty good. Um, so when you have those, you know, those combination of things, it's, it's gonna it's gonna be good times, but we have to get Prescott to that point. So to me, uh, I'm anxious, nervous, uh, but definitely excited. Uh, you know about you know the Cowboys' offense. You know, being somewhat back. Yeah, I think I think that Dan hit it on the head. It's it's which deck do we get right? So like the obviously the, the opening week against the Buccaneers, as well as the better part of the second half of last season, Dak was off his game. He didn't seem like he trusted his receivers. He was double clutching a lot. He wasn't believing what he saw. Um, but there have been stretches, first five games of last year, the first uh, five games of the 2021 season before he got in, 2020 season before he got injured. The um, the big, big stretches in 2018, big stretches in 2019, where he was uh, the captain of the best offense in football. And one of the things that gives me hope is that the Cowboys have been able to run the ball, even with a quarterback who's, who has who poses absolutely no threat in terms of the downfield passing game. And so if, if Dak can do anything to, to make safeties think twice about coming up into the box, then I think they could be really potent. And if they're, if they're potent, if they're like, if we can have anything near like the, the, the first six, seven games last year in terms of offense and offensive production and balance and then play defense like this, I mean, honestly, this is a Super Bowl team because they're going to be, rolling folks and they're gonna and they're tough they're they're like a much tougher team than they have been in the in the past they've always kind of they've always like that they've always kind of been um the kind of team that you know they say styles make fights and they've been the kind of team who really struggles against the kind of guy who's like sort of back alley thug who just who just sort of beat on him for a while and that, but this team i think can handle that yeah i i i swear this isn't this isn't me baiting you guys but the lion's safeties are a mess you know they, they they're they're trying to rely on Kirby Joseph. Their their defensive captain Tracy Walker tore his Achilles earlier this season, and that's somebody mm-hmm. who I didn't even mention because it just like it it sapped a lot of goodwill and energy from that defense. Um, he was one of the few guys that Brad Holmes like resigned, and Dan Campbell. You know, there's there's video of him having a conversation when he came back into Allen Park to sign his contract. And he's like, you know, you're the man. Like you're the reason why we're building what we're building. Like you are the guy and losing Mm -hmm. him and now you're going to a third round rookie and Deshaun Elliott is a transplant and I mean we're talking about guys like Juju Hughes you know like you know maybe maybe the Cowboys can definitely take advantage of that I will say I will say Ryan I think that the the if we're assuming Dak is playing I mean and the Lions are playing the Cowboys with Dak as quarterback this is the best opportunity the Lions have to win like this is the this is when they're going to be the most vulnerable because I think he's he's for all the things I said before I think he's not going to be up to game speed this is the game where he's going to be kind of dipping his toe in the pool I think by week 10 unless there's you know unless there's injury concerns or something he's going to be they're going to be humming and um so it wouldn't shock me if, if Detroit pulls it out. It really wouldn't because I think that they are still vulnerable. Um, but in a couple, three weeks, whew, I think it's going to be scary. Uh, I guess, I guess I'm glad the lions are catching Dak right now. Then. I think, I think that, I think this is the best time to catch him. I really do. 
really yeah. do. You dodged Cooper Rush. You're lucky you dodged Cooper Rush. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you're going to get a DAC that's in between Cooper Rush and, and what we're going to get in terms of final DAC. So that's so that's good. So listen, that's thanks it. so much for coming on. And I really appreciate it. Please, before you head out, tell the people where they can find your fine work. Oh, thank you. Um, again, uh, so great to be on the podcast. I, I appreciate you guys uh, giving me the platform. So at uh, Ryan underscore POD on Twitter, um, I tweet a lot about um, sports and uh, food and professional wrestling, um, another passion of mine. So, um, yeah, uh, Pride of Detroit, we got great coverage. Uh, just a quick plug for my Saturday morning article. Um, I'm four and one in my bets so far this uh, this uh, year um, when it comes to lions and also kind of semi-related lions bets. Um, so if you uh, if you want to check that out, uh, if you're a rambling gambling man like myself, then um, go ahead and, and check that out Saturday morning. But we got a great team over there, and uh, we definitely like we we look up to blogging the boys as as like you know a podcast that we think is is great and. Um, the uh the stuff from Pride of Detroit is 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 hoping to to reach the levels of you know Bleeding Green Nation and Blogging the Boys and some of the other greats. So um, we're well on our way, but uh, yeah, we got great stuff over there. Excellent. Thanks so much. Good luck this week. Appreciate it. Thank you. Well, that was actually a really great conversation. I mean, I I, I knew a, b- a little bit about Ryan, but I I enjoyed that uh, even more than I than I expected to, and I expected to enjoy it uh, enjoy it quite a bit. Um, you know, it must be really it must be really tough being a, a fan of a team like Detroit. That's you know, I mean, we talk about the Cowboys and not having any success in the last you know however many years, but it's been <laughs> since 1957 that the Lions have had any success. So um, it must be really tough. And so kudos to him for for continuing to be an engaged engaged fan yeah for sure i definitely uh, totally agree you know the lions are just kind of just going back through and just looking through their their history and it it has been rough and it's like uh, you know and you don't even get those times where it's like those time moments where you kind of turn the corner and it, it may you know I, I mean like even hope like where is the hope and so mm-hmm. um but it was true i i really liked i mean ryan does a great job he's you know, being really objective with what's going on and really informative too. And I just, I love getting that insight to, to our weekly opponents. Absolutely. So speaking of insight, um, I'd love to hear what you have to say about last week's big division face-off against the hated uh, Philadelphia Fecals. How, how did you feel about that game? Thoughts about the game? Oh, you know what? So it was a really, there was quite a few emotions going on there. Um, you know, as we know, we talked about this earlier, and I think both of us kind of expected, you know, it, Philly's it's going to be a tough game. Uh, we're probably not coming away with the win, and um, but it it wasn't going to be something that would um, bring us down. You know, it still we 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 we've seen what this team has done, so that's not a race suddenly. But I will tell you this though: dropping dropping the whole twenty to nothing was a little bit sickening to, you know, especially in the manner in which it happened. Um, I'm really agitated by the, the no challenge. Um, and I, I try not to just constantly harp on, on McCarthy, but I just, I don't know. I think that guy's had some of the, quite a few moment in game, you know, gaffes in his short time in Dallas that then something that, you know, that we, that we haven't seen, you know, um, before. And personally, I mean, I, I don't count like, Ice and the kickers, you know, nonsense like that. I'm talking about 
you know, legitimate stuff. That really bothered me. Um, some of the things that happened that just kind of gifted the Eagles points. I, I do think it's unfortunate because if you remove those things, I think it's it's a different situation. And then, um, you know, uh, you know, total total winnable game for the Cowboys. So I was happy to see their real resiliency, and I give McCarthy all, all the credit in the world for that. Although there was none of that in 2020. So, I mean, so I, you know, probably Dan Quinn has a lot to do with, with some of that, you know, defensive resiliency that we saw on Sunday. So I feel really good. I mean, I... I think the Eagles, to me, I feel like I learned more about them. They're in, in a way, they're better than I realized. But at in the same time, like, I'm not, I don't think that they're the best. I mean, if I were to get, even do an honest power rankings, I don't think I would put them first. Um, but, so I, I guess what I'm saying is, I feel I feel pretty good. I mean, it's not... It's certainly not what we wanted to happen, but it's what we expected to happen. But but how how about you? How are you feeling? I missed all that. I would say, I would say very similarly. So you know we talked last week. You know uh, as as you just noted a, a few minutes ago, uh, I haven't I have not been picking the Cowboys, and and as I as I responded, I have not been picking them because of their inability to generate explosives in the passing game, in particular with Cooper Rush. Um, the one thing that Rush was doing that felt like it wasn't sustainable, probably, and it probably wasn't sustainable in particular against a, a better team, was the fact that he was protecting the ball so well. Um, and I felt like if they were going to play the kind of offense that that, uh, that helped him protect the ball, then they were pretty much just riding their own uh, death warrant because they were going to get outscored, and and you weren't going to keep up with a team like the like the Eagles, and probably not going you probably weren't going to score a lot of defensive points and 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 those other kind of things that were helping him out. So I felt like if he was put in a position where he actually had to kind of extend himself for the Cowboys to to stay close and compete, that he was going to be exposed, and that's exactly what happened. The Cowboys defense played incredibly well overall. They gave up only like three point nine. Uh, yards per play over the course of the game, which is extraordinary. The Eagles didn't have any explosives downfield and didn't uh, didn't really even try to. I think that they were terrified of the Cowboys' pass rush and didn't even call any plays that were slow developing that would have that would have uh, exposed their quarterback. Um, uh, and so, you know, it was a little bit disappointing to see that initial drive end up end up in seven instead of three. I really think the the texture of the game would have been different had. Um, had the Cowboys not jumped off sides and given them, given them, oh, excuse me, some kind of gift first down as the as the first quarter transitioned into the second, um, because I sort of felt like once they were down seven, Cooper Rush had to play outside of himself a little bit and, and immediately, um, you know, immediately uh, threw a pick and 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 the Eagles, you know, the Eagles had a short field, so the Eagles scored what was it, twenty six points, half of which came on drives that started in Cowboys territory. Uh, that first drive did not, of course, and then the last drive where they ran it and ran it, and the Cowboys just couldn't get out the field. Even though the Cow- even though the Eagles never really had a big play, they just kept kind of eking out enough runs, so they were in third and manageable, and kind of eking out those third downs. Had a couple of you know had a, had a, had a pick play that led to you know led to and contributed to it, but but that you know they 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 were able to um, able to to do what they needed to do. Um, but I will say that in looking back over the game. Uh, a couple things jump out at me. One, as you said, I love the fight as they got back in. I love the fact that the Cowboys' offensive brain trust was able to kind of figure out what they could do to get the ball moving. Um, they did. They did a lot of nice things 
uh, you know, rolling rolling Cooper Rush out of the pocket, so he wasn't feeling quite as much pressure in the pocket. He wasn't getting he was seeing things better because they were rolling him out, and he was actually able to see the field better. Um, you know, uh, wasn't getting passes knocked down. Um, so so I, I loved I loved the, the quote unquote adjustments they made uh, to get them back in the game. I, and I, when you look at the tape, there are receivers running free in the secondary play after play after play. So, you know, I, people were saying, oh, you know, the, the Eagles uh, defensive back shut down the Cowboys receivers. Cowboys receivers couldn't get open. That is horse pucky. They didn't do anything to shut down the Cowboys receivers. The Cowboys receivers were open all day. And it, when they were playing cl- uh, close coverage, it was oftentimes because um, because Cooper Rush was reading things even a step slower than he, than he had been uh, in er, in earlier games, so Cooper Rush was off his game, was processing slower, was hesitant, kind of double clutched a couple of times, um, was not throwing uh, with anticipation. You know, you always hear you always hear people like Ron Jaworski talk about, and um, and like Greg Cosell talk about how important it is for a quarterback to throw with anticipation, and and it's felt like earlier Rush has such a comically weak arm, he has to throw with anticipation, and if he doesn't, he he has no chance. And so there were a lot of times where there was a window that got closed because he he hesitated, and then the ball took you know an hour and a half to get there. And but the but the receiver was open on if he had thrown on or before the break, there were guys who were open. And um, so there there were definitely t- opportunities for the Cowboys to take advantage. The Cowboys somehow managed, even though even against that the big the, the big Eagles offensive line, even even though they were playing a five man line with three defensive tackles for much of the game, the Cowboys still managed to run the ball, which I think is really impressive. Because if you remember last year when the Cowboys were having their offensive malaise, one of the things that really got them in trouble is they just couldn't run the ball. They were getting stopped at the line. They were they were getting uh, a lot of negative plays in the run game and yeah they didn't run the ball like gangbusters but they they you know they they amassed a a decent amount of a decent amount of yards so i feel like there's nothing there's nothing in that game that made me scared of the eagles i i think the cowboys are going to be hard pressed to catch them because they're going to have to get uh you know they have to get a couple gifts they're going to have to be a couple times where the eagles lose to a team that's probably not as good as them but I think they're the kind of team that is capable of doing that, and the Cowboys are going to really have to hold serve. It's going to be tough because, um, you know, if, if they're a game behind uh, on Christmas Eve and they can beat the Eagles to tie things up, that that's a possibility. But they're going to have to – I mean, they can really only afford to lose, like, one more game between now and then for that to be the case because the Eagles are uh, – you know, the Eagles are, are probably going to stumble once or twice, but no more. And so um, – but at the same time, like, as we as we talked about with Ryan – when we were talking about the game predictions, if if the Cowboys offense can resemble any of the offenses they've had during those stretches before where they've had the best offense in football with Dak um, in Dak in charge and Dak um, sort of, you know, collecting explosives in the passing game. My God, I mean, just think like, first of all, they're going to make teams one dimensional pretty early in games. And then this pass rush is just going to take off. And, and and teams are not going to run the ball because they're not going to be able to because they're going to be down two scores, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be terrifying for other teams. And they're going to and, and and the Cowboys have a lot of you know um, comparatively weaker teams coming up. So there's a lot of opportunity here for to get for Dak to get right, for the offense to get right, um, and for the defense to feast. Yeah, no, I think and it's going to be fun times when when those moments happen too. And I you know I talked about like. That you know, Dak Prescott being the big wild card and, and and 
how well the Cowboys can do. But I think that, you know, you, and you touched on this a little bit too. I mean, the way the Cowboys offensive line is playing, I feel like this is just different. And I, I think that they're going to, they're going to continue to try to leverage off that. And obviously as they try to ease Dak back into things, they're, they're going to, we, we know that. But I think that when you have an offensive line that's blocking, that's run blocking so well, and the Cowboys able you know, to to run against some really good run defenses, and and like you said, the schedule is going to lighten up too. So they're they're even going to have more success running the ball as the farther along we go. And then you mix in just that little threat of Prescott, because I'll tell you what, Prescott will hit C.D. Lamb downfield. He will not throw you know a duck that will just sit there and and uh, mm-hmm. you know, so so those explosive plays will come back. And you know when that happens, then absolutely it's going to be. It's going to be a great time for, for Cowboys. And I do think you're right. The, the, the Eagles kind of, and it doesn't even bother me, but I feel like the, unless something happens and they go through, you know, a, a little bit of a rut, I don't think it's going to be super hard to catch them. But, but I don't think it, I don't think it, I, I'm not bothered by it. It's hard to lose your starting quarterback for five games and then start thinking about getting the number one seed in the, in the, in the conference. So, um, but I, I'm just not worried that, I, my mind starts to think about what you said earlier about, you know, do we want the NFC East to be good or bad? It's like, maybe I want the Cowboys to take the scenic route. You know, maybe I want them to, you know, you know, play the wild card and and, and be battle-tested through through the, you know, through the playoffs rather than just having, you know, a, 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 the top seed. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm embracing this journey. I'm ready for it. I think that the Cowboys' defense is fantastic. I think their offense is is going to slowly get to a good point, and, and I think it's going to make for a fun season. Yeah, I mean, they say defense travels. I mean, I, to na- name a, a Cowboys team that's been better equipped to go that sort of three-road game journey than this team in, in recent memory. I can't think of one. I can't think of one at all. I mean, they, they can run the ball. They play tough defense. They're a tough team, both both physically and I think mentally, at least thus far, you know, in the first handful of games. And so... Um, yeah, obviously, you know, obviously, I'd love for them to get the number one seed, right? And it's not by no, by no means is that is that out of the question. But uh, but if they don't, if they're not able to do it, uh, I'm not like I don't need the right th- this year the crutch of them having that home field advantage or the buy or anything else as a way to try to like eliminate one other opportunity where they can they can lose because I don't I don't trust them to you know uh, to run the table if there's more opportunities for them to lose. I feel I feel like this year this is a tough team that, that can that can do that. Whether they would or not, I don't know, but they can. Um so here's the here's the question. So we I'm gonna return to this. So we're we're talking about what this will look like if we get the DAC that we've seen during five to eight game stretches during parts of years. But like, you know, honestly the DAC we've seen most recently was the DAC at the end of last year and the first game this year who was not trusting his receivers, who was hesitant, who was trying to play hero ball, um, who, you know, obviously last year didn't have a running game to support him, but, and and didn't against the Buccaneers either. Um, I think we have to at least be prepared that it's possible that that's who Dak Prescott is now. 
right? I mean, I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence that he's not, but I think there's all. I think there's also like the most recent evidence that's that's before us, and it's a substantial body of evidence is that this is a Dak who doesn't trust his offense and and isn't playing with the same kind of clarity and freedom that he has at other times in in his career. I think there's a couple things with this uh, Rabs, and I think, I mean, let's let's not forget that we're not that far removed from the Cowboys allowing a franchise worse 473 points and so mm-hmm. for Dak mm-hmm. to kind of transition into a player that you know he doesn't have to do this you know he doesn't need to do this because I we all remember 2014 and that was one of Tony Romo's most conservative I guess so to speak you know seasons and st- but it was one of his best seasons um because it was his, I think it was his very best yeah yeah, yeah. and uh so I think I think when Prescott kind of realizes, you know, this is different now and, you know, I, I have a running game that I can depend on and I have a defense that, that's that's dominating. So I think you might slowly see a different Prescott. I don't want to say like, a, certainly not, you know, a, a worse Prescott, but just a different one. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I, think he, I think it's going to take a little time for him to kind of find himself because let's face it, Dak is still a playmaker. He can still all of a sudden make one of those Dak plays, make one of those Romo plays, you know, he, he can still do that. And, um, you know, and, and I believe that, you know, that's coming, but I do think it's, there's, there's some, a transition that needs to go on for him. And I, and I don't, I can't understand what happened in Tampa. Uh, it's, that was one of his worst games. And he, you know, I, I, to me last year was, I felt like he just mentally didn't trust his body. I just, and I know the guy just does not want to want does not want to get hurt because that means he's mm-hmm. not on the field. He wants to be out there because I know when he was out for the season, it just like totally crushed his spirits. And he just and I think that's a lot of ways he's kind of maybe holds back a little bit because he doesn't want to hurt himself. So, um, so I, I think it's just going to take a bit for him to get to a point to where he's, you know, trusts himself and and and, and can play and and without without just kind of be mentally limited and but. I don't know what that's going to look like and how quickly Mm-mm. it is. We've talked about this before. I think it may it's, it may get worse before it gets better. I mean, we we could hear some people talk about how they should have stuck with Cooper Rush. You know, just silliness. You know, because if if let's say Prescott comes out and and has a rough you know return, you know that's and that's certainly a possibility. But um, I mean, so there, you know, that is something that could happen and. I think we just have to be patient and know that he's going to get there and and trust mm-hmm. that you know he he kind of um is able to kind of find himself in this with this new team and and when he does yeah. I think it's just going to be you know I think it's going to be a, a good thing for for this Cowboys team. Yeah, I think so too. So tell me this, what are you hoping to see from him on Sunday? Uh honestly, I I, I hope I'm hoping to see him play smart. You know, I don't want him to come out there and just like I'm back guys and just like you know, try to just uh, show the world, or you know, that this is a completely different. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to see that happen, but I, I would, I don't want him to go out there and and try to do too much. I I think that we've learned a lot with Prescott being gone, and I think that we need to do the things that that w- they do well. And, uh, and I want him to to find, try to find his place. I want him to, I guess, I, you know, I want him. To, I want him to be a little conservative. This. You know, this first game back. I don't want him to be, to be just, you know, airing it out and, and, and taking chances. You know, when it, this is not not a team that we need to do that 
mm-hmm. with. So that, that's, no, sir, that's, that's, yeah. that's what I want to see. What do you want to see? I, I think the same. I, I think that, you know, when we think that we think back to like his rookie year in 2014, uh, 2016, obviously he had a cr- tremendous run game, et cetera, but it felt like, you know, they, the, he had a fairly simplified offense, but one of the things they taught him to do was read the defense, trust your read and go with what the offense dictates. And I feel like, and this happens with a lot of quarterbacks, right? As he became, it happened to Romo, as he became um, the franchise quarterback with a capital F, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. I mean, in some ways you become a member of management, right? You become as important, if not more important than the head coach in the, in the scheme of, of, of the larger organization, you get a lot more say, and there's a lot more pressure put on you. And I, and he also became a more sophisticated quarterback. I think he, he, he learned to read better. He learned to, um, do, do a lot more, you know, sort of nuanced understandings of defense, et cetera. But one of the things that happens then is the more, you know, the more that you have to process. And I, I think that, you know, a couple of the quotes that came out, especially like a couple of weeks after, uh, after, um, you know, after the injury, uh, after he'd watched Cooper rush a couple games, is he was talking about how simple it is, right? And I think that um, I think that that's really promising for me because I, what I want to see, and this goes along with what you were saying, is a guy who is going to read the defense, trust his read, one, two, three, go, right? I want him to play like Tom Brady, right? Just play small ball, play small ball until the big until the big play happens. I want him, however, I want him to show the league something terrifying which is i want one long pass i want a long pass to gallop i want a long pass to cd to scare the living heck out of defensive coordinators if, if they can if they can put that on tape oh my goodness watch out because suddenly suddenly the underneath is going to be open the running game is going to be open and then and then soon everything's going to open up um but for other than that i want him to do that judiciously i want to do him to do that you know maybe once or twice but i i uh I mostly just want him as, as sort of what you're saying, right? Play within yourself, trust your read, don't overthink things. Because so I think if, if he does that, uh, he can be incredibly successful and the offense can be uh, really successful as well. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. You know, that's that's a great point. And another element of that too is what that would mean, how that would open up the running game. Because I tell you what, if he does take those shots and first time we see a huge explosive play, like, oh, we've been missing that forever. And then I can guarantee you what's likely to follow is 20-yard runs. You know, you're going to see more more things open up because defense, they're going to have to they're going to have to make a decision. I mean, what are they going to do? Because, you know, they're not going to be able to, to do both. And uh, I think that's going to just make the Cowboys suddenly become a much more dangerous, you know, team. I, you know, I, I, I do want Dak to be – I want him to be quick and decisive with – you know, I don't want him to be – you know, talk about you talk about double pumping with Cooper, and you know, Dak did a lot of that in Week One, and mm-hmm, I want him. Sure did. I want him to just because that's why Cooper stayed upright a lot. You know, it's and and why he didn't get put himself in tough situations because you know he was decisive, and I and I do want to see Dak do that. I don't want him to be second guessing and and then trying to make plays out of broken plays and stuff. Um, but yeah, I tell you what, it's that it is going to be enjoyable when we see that first deep one. One one last you were just talking about how the running game will open up. So one last point to make before we close, and that's that if you to me the more I think back about last season, the more I do so within like the lens provided by the first six games this season. The more it seems like the night and day last season was they they were able to run the ball. You remember you know up to the New England game. 
there were like four or five games in a row where they were they had nearly 200 yards rushing, if not over 200 yards rushing. I mean, they were a juggernaut. They had like 300 yards or ish passing, 200 yards ish running, 500 yards per game. I mean, it was incredible and the balance they had. And then, you know, Dak started to hesitate. But when Dak when Dak started to hesitate, in no small part, at the same time, the running game just stopped. I mean, stopped being effective. Not only were they not rushing for 200 yards, they were struggling to get positive to positive yardage in, in the running game, uh, you know, for, for uh, certainly against um, good teams and, and stout defensive teams. And so I think, I think, uh, you know, Dak's the kind of guy who can play hero ball when you need to, when you need him to for a limited period of time, but he's, he's most effective in a, in a good balanced offense. And I think that that's one of the things it gives me hope is, is the fact that they've been able to run the ball with Cooper Rush's quarterback when there's no reason to fear any kind of deep pass. They've, and, and everyone's playing close. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's no space at the second level because everyone's, everyone's compressed and they're still running for like 150, 160 yards a game, 135 yards a game. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. So um, I'm just trying to, as you were saying, like, think about what's going to happen when the safeties are having to play back because they're, they're a little bit nervous about what CD lamb can do to them. And Michael Gallup can do to them. It could be, it could be exciting. I, I don't necessarily expect this to happen against Detroit, but I think, I, I think this is what's going to happen. I think they're going to have two games to ramp up and then their biggest game, probably their most difficult game of the remainder of the year is going to be the game at Minnesota. And that, and they need to, they need to be firing on, at least five of their six cylinders by the Minnesota game. And if they win that game in Minnesota, then I think it's, it's, it's basically, I mean, they'll, they'll probably lose again because the NFL is hard, but, um, but it's pretty much straight. It's pretty much smooth sailing from that point on. Yeah, no, I, I uh, it, what's, it's interesting too, is that I do think that, um, you know, with what, with how defensive play has played Cooper Rush, I feel like some similar stuff happened last year when they started feeling like Prescott wasn't right because you saw a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff where they were, you know, that's when they they started shelling us and and uh, you know, it's, basically it's like, come on, Dak, beat us, and and I just don't think that he was able to, or he just, you know, I think that that was uh, and that made things difficult, and I feel like we're gonna see people try to do that again, but you know, I just. If Prescott could, you know, show them that, hey, look, I'm healthy and, you know, this I could do this. And when, when they get those big plays, it's just going to – and I, I, I wouldn't surprise me at all is if we saw the beginning of 2021, you know, when with the Cowboys offense and just the the the, the pa- passing games going, the, the running games unstoppable. And now you throw in a, a defense that is just playing on another level. And guess what's coming back? Turnovers are coming back. And – uh so I mean mm-hmm. that, of course, I think that's the ceiling, and but I definitely think that is not unreasonable at all to expect things to finish that way. But speaking of finishing, that is all we have for our show today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, iTunes. Tell us what you think. Anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, you know, uh, favorite matchups that you're looking at, or what is your favorite season of the year, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at DannyPhantom24, and Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. 
Tomorrow we'll have the world's team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver blue. And we will catch you later. Class dismissed.